It is a time of legend. The galaxy is in flames. The age of knowledge and enlightenment has ended. The age of darkness has begun. Greetings and welcome to the Fires of Betrayal podcast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the various war games set in the Age of Darkness, as well as the lore which surrounds them. My name is Martin Emery, your host. This podcast is for discussing the extensive novel series of the Black Library and talking about all the games that are found in the Age of Darkness produced by Games Workshop. In today's show, we are going to be discussing with two of my good friends the idea of Space Marine power armor. It's such an iconic and visual key to Horus Heresy in general. And we are going to discuss its evolution and development, both in-world and the setting itself. We're going to look at how Power Armor has changed from the early 90s, when the first law was written, to today, and the games of Heresy that we play using it. So in today's show, I am joined by my friends William Frank and Ben Randolph, we have a great conversation about Space Marine Power Armor, and before we get there, we talk a little bit about current news in the Heresy community, mostly recent Games Workshop releases. I do want to say that in the main show, we reference a couple of pieces of material fairly regularly. The first article we refer to is Space Marine Armor by Rick Priestley, which was originally released in White Dwarf 129 first published in September 1990. The actual article I'm referencing is from a second republishment of it, recently republished in a compilation book that came out a couple of years ago now. Other material we referenced was the Age of Darkness Heresy 2.0 rulebook, pages 33 to 39, which is the descriptions of current Space Marine armor marks, as well as the White Dwarf 469 armor for the ages. In all, this was a really great conversation. We had intended to finish the conversation with a conversation about Power Armor rules. As you listen to this podcast, you may notice some reference to a third section that we were going to talk about Power Armor and rules. Sadly, for technical reasons, that section has been lost to the warp. I'm going to comment a few thoughts at the end of the show about it, but we're probably going to return and re-record that section in a future show. But for now, I will leave you with myself... Ben and Will from a few days ago. Uh, we shall join in them straight away, talking about who they are. Then there'll be a small cut, and then we'll cut straight into the main conversation. See you after that. So joining us today, we have Ben and Will. Um, ben, do you want to introduce yourself to the wonderful audience? Sure. Um, I, I'm I'm Ben, uh, Ben Randolph, and I live in uh, Grapevine, which is just outside of Dallas. I live about five, ten minutes away from the Warhammer Citadel, so that's my usual haunt. I'm there usually about every day, and I have been uh, playing war games slash RPGs since about 1983, when I was a wee lad, and... Um, I've been playing uh, Warhammer since about the mid-90s, and I got into 40K uh, with 3rd uh, Edition. How long have you been with Heresy? Oh, with Heresy? Um, for about a year and a half. Yeah, I, 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 I can say I started in 1st Edition, but I caught it, I kind of got in with the, uh, the tail end of 1st Edition, but uh, Heresy kind of just takes me back to... I played a lot from 3rd through 5th, and then took a break from 
between sixth and seventh and got back in at eighth. So it takes me back to, uh, you know, the, the, the third through fifth edition, which is kind of my happy place. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a ton of fun. So I'm, uh, I'm also in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. I'm actually the other side of the uh, Fort Worth airport from Ben. Um, so the Citadel is, is also about 15 minutes away from me. Um, I, so I'm part of what we call the Lone Star Legion, uh, which is the group of guys that generally run a lot of the heresy events uh, here in the DFW Metroplex. Uh, as far as my background in the game, so I started gaming as a wee-wee lad all the way back in 1st edition AD&D. Um, I got into Battletech, which was my first tabletop miniature game. I didn't have exposure to Games Workshop until much, 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 much later. Uh, got in in 3rd edition and ran, uh, been playing pretty much nonstop since 3rd edition. Uh, got out of Magic because uh, Magic the Addiction, uh, Money the Gathering. Um, I got into Heresy. Uh, so I got into Heresy with the Battle of Calth. And the reason was, is because around that time, I had been running the 40K tournament scene uh, for many years here in the, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And I was getting uh, more and more frustrated with the type of players that we had because the uh, the type of players at that time were, were shifting more and more toward the more modern uh, type of Warhammer player, Warhammer 40K player, where, you know, that was very cutthroat. It was, you know, if you're not winning, you're losing. Uh, the only way I can have fun is to make sure you don't. Um, and I was getting really frustrated with that kind of play style and, and with those kind of players and was really missing the days of the early, you know, games that I played and so forth. And uh, those who have heard him mentioned, uh, 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 John Stanford, uh, many know him as the Fabricator General. Uh, John convinced me that I should get into uh, heresy that it was a lot more, you know, the game styles and the people that were playing them are a lot more of the that early third and fourth edition uh, gamer than what the, you know, sixth and seventh edition gamers were that I was dealing with. And so uh, when uh, Betrayal came out, I, uh, I picked up a box and started out with some Iron Hands. And uh, while I've had many armies since then, I've been hooked, and at this point, I don't even play 40K anymore. I keep getting these longings to go, hey, you know what? I really did kind of enjoy 40K. Let me try dipping my toe in. All right, well, that ate my leg. I'm I'm going to go ahead and leave now. I I, I, I still, you know, I, I, I love it all. You know, I love, you know, I love 40K. I've got my elder. I've got my sisters, you know. Yeah, I've got about 60,000 points of Eldar that I've collected since 4th edition that are just sitting over on my display table in my display case uh, and haven't been touched since, like, the end of 8th. Yeah, yeah I've got... Uh, so one of our good friends actually runs one of the uh, Warhammer stores. Uh, he runs uh, the store over in Fort Worth, and he's been talking about boarding action, and I'm a huge ZM fan, and he's got me half convinced that I should go play boarding actions uh in 40k but we'll see boarding actions looks really good in fact i've got a i want to play boarding actions so i can see how much better it is than the current zm rules 
my gut is it's going to be significantly better, which is going to be a shame. Welcome, guys, to the show. Before we get into today's uh, main topic, I want to touch on some news. We don't want to spend too long talking about the news. We'll have a news show in a few weeks. But, um, yeah, I think we'll start with the horrible despoilers kit. I threw an adjective in there that I probably shouldn't have done. It has certain flaws. Yeah. Hey, if it walks like a duck, if it talks like a duck, might as well call it a duck. The first thing I said is that this will not put the Etsy bits sellers out of business. You know, it is, uh, yeah, it is, it's a disconnect, you know. Um, you know, they, 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 came, they gave us such great bits boxes for special weapons and, and, and heavy weapons. Um, why couldn't they do the same? You know, for melee weapons, it it it, it I, I just don't understand. So I want to first come to the defense of the spoiler kit before I start ripping into it. As a design, I think they did a really good job with it. I really like that axe. I like the fact that they thought to include an axe because you already have your your power fist, your lightning claw, and a power sword in the uh, in the base kit for for your sergeant. Great, great addition. Uh, and overall, the designs look smooth. They look good. They're consistent with with the uh, Mark VI armor. Then we come into the issues with it. Aside from it being resin, uh, aside from it being 5 instead of 10, and you need to have at least 10, here's my real issue with it is where it comes that it should have been a despoiler slash assault marine slash uh Assault Destroyer slash Destroyer uh, set. It should have a right and left arm bolter. It should have come with a left arm uh, chain sword, a, an extra power weapon, axe, and maybe another, and maybe a maul or something. Um, it should have come with a jetpack set in it so that you could have made all four units from one box, and it should have been uh, a 10-man box Right there. I mean, that's that's what it should have been. The thing that does my head in about it isn't that it's a five-man uh, pack, because I don't think it is. Because I've built my own squad of despoilers, and I know that the box itself gives you enough, the core infantry box. You've got your power sword, you've got your plasma pistol you can put on the sergeant. The box they're giving you also gives you an arm for a power weapon. Well, you get one in five kind of pack carry power weapons, so that's your second guy in the squad. Then you've got the Big double-handed chainsword, so that's your third guy. And then you've got five bolt pistols and chainsaws. So I'm like at seven people. So I can build seven guys with the correct armor, or the correct weapons. But that's still not ten. So I don't need, like, a... I don't need them to add, like, that much more to it. Like, give me four more weapon, weapon options, and I've got a ten-man squad. And it's just... It's frustrating because it's so close to being enough. It's not even... I think we're also talking about the cost. You know, uh, for me, I've been kind of like uh, going over and kind of revamping my Terminators for my Blood Angel army. And I know that for the uh, Cataphracta upgrade, upgrade kit, you're looking for $34. Until the price hike, you're getting three Thunderhammers. So you're looking at probably like $150 to fully kit out a unit before you even buy the actual models. Uh, that is a big cash outlay. I mean, how much are they going to be charging for those uh, 
uh, you know, for those despoiler chainswords. Um, because you're for the spoilers, you're going to be looking for like a unit of 15, if not 20. And that that's the point there, Ben, is people who just got into heresy with heresy 2.0, right? Wanting to do despoilers, wanting to do assault marines. This was an opportunity for these people that bought their Heresy 2.0 box and are just getting into the game and want to do a Blood Angels Assault Marine list. You know, this would have been the perfect opportunity for them to, to get into it. Or, you know, like Space Wolves. Space Wolves have their Gray Stalkers, which are basically souped up to spoilers. Um, and so, the, you know, they're a very popular choice because they're they're despoilers with a, a bit more flavor and a bit more uh, space wolfiness. I think the big thing, and I've, well, the, the thing I've just realized listening to this, is I don't think I'd have been annoyed about this pack if it come out last year with the main release of the box set. If this has been a day one drop, as a sort of get you by, I think I could have taken it and been like, okay, well, at least we can build despoilers. But by the time it's out, we're going to be getting real close to a year later. And it's like, yeah, I'd really want to see more Marines. I mean, I suppose, I mean, just to segue slightly to our next point, by the time the general public is listening to this podcast, I suspect we're going to have another round of irritation because the Vindicator, Resin Vindicator, Heresy Vindicator, has dropped from the Forgeworld website, which is a great indication that's going to be our preview this week, which is, you know, another tank. Like, we get a little bit of Resin infantry, which isn't what we wanted, and now it's another tank. And as I said, um, I appeared on another podcast last weekend, the Legion cast. We talked about Mechanicum. And as I said in that show, like it just feels like they're working through a product code list. There's no strategic plan. They've got an intern who said, hey, convert these CAD files from resin to plastic. And that's all he's doing. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I understand the people's frustration with uh, the lack of you know plastic infantry options. And I think it's just how GW does. They 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 go through these periods where they are like, you know, almost hyper-focused on one specific thing. I am confident that we're going to go into a season of infantry. I hope so. Really hoping that we get a plastic breacher box. Because the spoilers, most people can kit bash. Kit bashing breachers is not a thing people really want to do. And I really hope that, like, we see that, hopefully, by the end of the month at Adepticon. That'd be like, that's my one, like... Please, even more than the demon book, give me breaches. I don't want to go to death because every podcast and news site sounds the same. We're all saying the same things. Uh, one thing I do want to ask both of you is, did either of you get your hands on The End and the Death? Have you started reading slash listening to it? So I uh, was able to get copy 517. I think it's 517. It's it's over on my book. It's over on my bookshelf, still in its box. I haven't had a chance to do anything with it. Uh, mostly because I'm actually behind on the siege. Uh, I will admit I'm a huge fan of the Dresden Files, but because of, of the, the whole pandemic thing, I never got a chance to really sit down and read the new books that came out. So uh, as soon as I finished um, Eternity, I stopped everything with with uh, Warhammer, and I also read the Battletech books. I've got those sitting on the, the side caught back up to to dresden i just have the last few uh uh chapters of the book and then i'm getting back into siege but i made sure i showed up and got my my copy of end of the death uh uh limited the the the, the new siege is on my shelf and uh believe it or not i'm 
kind of in the better late than never um, territory. I am um, currently uh, actually reading through Wheel of Time. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, uh, to to finish the book I'm currently reading and then jump on the new Siege of Terror book. But I've been very happy with all of the Siege of Terror books. Um, I've loved them all. Uh, I think there have been some flaws. I'm currently an hour and a half into The End and the Death, and I've already decided it's going to be one of those ones I'm going to need to listen to, like, twice. Yeah, so I will say, because this is actually a conversation we were having yesterday, um, I was over with uh, Lucas and John, but we were having a conversation, and, and, and I think it was John made this comment. It was either John or Lucas uh, made this comment, and I, I had to agree. The one issue that we have with the Siege series as a whole is too many POV characters and too much POV skipping, which works sometimes, but when it's sort of constantly happening, it starts getting confusing very, very quickly, and you lose track of who some of these secondary characters are because you only hear about them in the book, and in most cases, they're only there for that one book. So it's hard to keep track of what all's going on with them because you see them for half a second, then you come back to, you know, go off and do other stuff and you come back to them for another, you know, like maybe 30 seconds, you know, so it can get kind of confusing, the, the whole POV skipping, uh, especially for characters you're not as familiar with. It is with. the biggest problem with having the stable of writers doing the book rather than one person because they each have one or two people they really like. And... They're, they'll come in for their book, like the last one had Dempsey Bowden, and he will just throw in those characters that he's been nurturing through his stories and want to wrap them up. I, I will, and I will say that it, it, it may be the issue of too many uh, cooks in the kitchen type thing, uh, because this issue of too many secondary, tertiary, quaternary, quintanary uh, characters is something that happens at going back to the wheel of time. Trust me, you are not even anywhere close at book four. You are not anywhere close to the far back where you now have dectatarian characters that are constantly coming up. But Jordan, Jordan has, it does a good job of you always know who he's talking about and he, and it never jumps around too much. You, you you're comfortable with even like these levels of, of of so far down from your main cast because you've got this cavalcade of of writers it it doesn't work quite as smoothly it is what it is um i'm looking forward to finishing it and i'm looking forward to doing a summer special where we'll talk about it okay okay so that's the news intro section just segueing into recent books for the duration of today's show i want to talk about that thing that makes the heresy the heresy, which is power armor. Um, I don't think there is another Games Workshop. Space Marine and power armor is iconic to Games Workshop, and for the and for heresy, it's even even more iconic. Like it is 40k, but 30k is that dialed up again. I think the best description I've ever heard of heresy is heresy is to historical gaming. Uh, it is is a historical gaming inside a fantasy uh, realm. So, you know, having those those important little details uh, be a little bit not not quite rivet counter. Uh, if you've ever been in the uh, historical gaming community, you'll know exactly what I mean by rivet counter. But 
but yeah, trying trying to be as close to encapsulating the feel of a historical gaming inside a fictional universe. The the way I see it is, you know, what you know, what if you're watching a Star Wars movie and they have uh, a clone armor in you know in the Imperial Civil War? You know, it it wouldn't look right. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. It depends on the story, and that's where it sort of. I think, well, and that's what we want to talk about, really, is um, power armor is iconic. It is the outline of the heroes we talk about. Um, and it's got now, within current law, such a deep story about every single suit. I want to sort of talk through the in-game history of it. Well, as we go, we'll throw in some comments about how Games Workshop developed the designs. I think we should probably start with a... In the heresy, I really don't you don't come across many alternate sources of power armor. There is quite a few in 40k. Like in 40k, you've got power armored suits worn by the Inquisition and a few other uh, sisters of battle jump to mind. You don't really get that in the heresy. Not even the solar ox are running around in power armor suits. Um, well, I think that has a lot to do about the original lore of of power armor was when the game first started power armor was unique to space marines uh mostly because of the war being about the black carapace and you know the early lore specifically said without the black carapace you can't use power armor because you have to have that interface and and of course well, well did the black carapace did thunder warriors have the black carapace because as I, as I understand thunder armor was only partially powered. It was only the upper body that was powered. The legs were not powered. Power armor uh, in th Thunder Armor is a very much... I, my reading of current law is it's a very retroactive statement. Thunder Armor is the armor the Thunder Warriors wore, and in places it references it also being like similar to armor other people were wearing. So you probably didn't need the black carapace for it, would be my take. I was, I, I think back to my own youth, you know, I got started in gaming back when uh, cavemen were uh, painting on walls, uh, uh, back, in, back in a time known as the 1980s, and um, really my first introduction to a power armor was reading the works of Robert Heinlein, uh, Troopers, yeah, and you know that Rick Priestley, the designers for, you know, Rogue Trader, were reading this things um so i think that was really the catalyst of what they were you know looking to uh, convey in the game yeah i mean definitely i mean if we we go back to the uh, i mean power armor didn't just appear they started with the models like everything games workshop does and they made up the law to fit the models of those early knights in space and there was a game oh laser burn which was before 40K. It was uh, written by, a, a, well, I think it was a Brian Ansel uh, property, written around 1980. And it introduced Space Marines. It introduced Imperial Space Marines. Um, it introduced Power Armor. So, um, you know, there were some people even at my school who were bringing, who, 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 had, who would play Laser Burn. And that was really, I guess you could say, Sort of my first introduction to GW, GW, even though it wasn't GW. 
but it would but Brian Lancel would be you know ro- roped into the to the uh, rogue trader design. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, back at that point, Games Workshop were making models for RPGs and. Like even laser burn was a bit of a rip on traveler and traveler had power armor with it or your infant your starship troopers power armor within it and yeah it's from that like late 70s early 80s sci-fi medley you're dread and like which we primordial swamp that gave 40k climbed out of so anyway in in universe currently our mark one armor is under armor as i said i my best reading of it and maintained it for a while is is ad hoc ad hoc classification of your like not full suit of power armor there's no helmets it's the best of a torso and maybe arms if you're trying to increase your lifting but it's clunky we don't see it on battle i don't think there's even they even make mark one armor models anymore no the only time place you can get mark one armor is armor through the ages and i'm not sure they make that anymore but I, I, I don't think that you can realistically, practically make a full army of Thunder Warriors. No, no. Um, I've seen some people making okay conversions out of some um, Age of Sigma stuff. Yeah, I've seen some reasonable reasonable conversions with some prints and using Age of Sigmar and a couple of other things to do it. And, and it looks halfway decent, but it is definitely a project of love at that point because it is not something easy to do. And I think if I was to run them on the table, I know we're going to talk about rules in a bit. Um, Thunder Armor is definitely not a 3 plus save armor. Um, you're running Thunder Armor, you're running 4 plus save, it's carapace armor, it's only marginally better than... I mean, it, it, the powered portion was just the chest and arms. Um, so honestly, if I was to say, you know, on that, I'd probably leave it at a 3 plus because you still had greaves and, and helmets, they just weren't powered. I would probably see it more reflected as a toned-down toughness. Okay, no, I, 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 could see, I could see that. And it was designed for uh, for use on Earth. Yeah, that was the only place... Yeah, it was the only place it was ever intended to use was within the Sol system, on Earth, on Luna, on Mars. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, so one of the things we'll be referencing as we talk through this is a really fantastic article by Rick Priestley um describing space marine armor it's the first uh well see this is the interesting thing about the modern lore versus the the rick police priestly lore is in modern lore the thunder armor was worn by the thunder warriors which is why it was called the thunder Armor. um or or maybe the, if i remember correctly it's actually the thunder warriors were called thunder warriors because of the armor because they had the lightning on the chest which is in in rick Pleasley's thing but in Rick Priestley's discussion, it was worn by Space Marines because there were never any Thunder Warriors. The, the the original Thunder Warriors as we know them now were just Space Marines. And the Mark I armor was nothing unique to to the Space Marines. All the Techno-Barbarians warlords had it. Um, the only difference between the Techno-Barbarians and the Emperor's uh, forces with, were that they were space marines, not simply techno barbarians. Uh, but you know, that's sort of the, where what the Thunder Warriors were space marine, which which evolved later. In the, um, in the later lore, definitely. Um, and like I said, this early article um, definitely re- doesn't reference Thunder Warriors. But what I wanted to note as an interesting, subtle change of the law is that it talks about Mark One being phased out after. Mars and the Moon had been captured. 
Whereas the current law sort of says as soon as we they were going to Luna, they were in Mark Two. Right, because Mars and the Moon, Mars and the Moon, I believe, had breathable atmospheres at that point. I'm... No, they 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 did absolutely have breathable atmospheres in the modern lore. Uh, Mark One armor stopped with the Thunder Warriors, and the Thunder Warriors stopped at the final uh, consolidation battle, unification battle on Earth. Is according to the lore um, of the Imperium, is that the Thunder Warriors fought to the last man, but uh, in doing so, succeeded for the Emperor. Because of its weird, like you know, retroness, I have a real soft spot for Mark One. Um, that's why I'm talking about it for so long. Um, I really would love to see kit from mark one i'm never gonna get it but you know one can hope i mean so mark two crusade armor i think it's the it's the suit of armor i i'm surprised they didn't do in the box set. let's put that out i think as, as yeah i i love corvus armor corvus armor is the iconic beaky it definitely is the 40th anniversary space remod but i think crusade armor feels like it should have been the age of darkness box set. You know, I, I don't uh, wholly agree with you on that one. I, I coming where they are right now with Heresy 2.0 in the middle of the Siege of Terror books, and the Siege of Terror books have been designed and written such that you don't have to have ever read any of the Heresy novels to get into the Siege of Terror. Uh, and, and that's why they're doing the, the, the Sons of Horus versus Imperial Fist as the theme for the, the box set. Mark Six armor is perfect for the box set. That said, I probably could have argued for Mark II in either the Battle of Kalth or in Burning of Prosperous. Probably very seriously, Burning of Prosperous should have should have gotten Mark II instead of Mark III because, and, and we'll get into Iron Armor later. But we know the amount of Crusade armor there was versus Iron Armor, which we'll discuss as we go between the differences of these two and what their roles were. Yeah, and so Mark II is a really good suit of um, armor in general. I mean, it's first fully enclosed suit. As far as current law suggests, the head is movable now. In the original law, it wasn't. It's iconic. It's There's no outside cables. It's all nicely tidied up. About the general. I hated the uh, lore with the, mark, with the head not movable. That just seemed ridiculous to me. I, I, okay, so coming from an engineering side, I kind of understand it because you're able to move inside the helmet, and all of your all of your inputs are coming through neural feed anyway. So you're not actually looking through eye slits. You're you're not talking through the mouth directly. So being able to move around inside your helmet, uh, you're able to look around like you weren't as though the helmet weren't even there. The helmet being fixed increases protection i mean think about it from in terms of a tank you know uh, they got rid of the pistol port because you know any uh, hole in a tank as weakens the armor there were debates on whether or not uh like the loader should get a hatch because any hole in the tank is is a weakness in the armor so you know having a fixed helmet increases survivability but then again you know if you get knocked around and your and your head starts wobbling inside that helmet eh, maybe not the best thing in the world i think that's the uh, like it's fluff wise i really get the helmet being welded in place because that's astronauts helmets if you want to go for a, this is a pressurized on armored astronaut suit 
astronaut helmets don't wander. You move around inside them. Um, but for models, I really want to be able to give the model character. And I like the fact the heads now don't kind of give you a arc of vision. I think it looks better. Well, let's also consider when the uh, design was originally created and what those models looked like when they were originally created. Oh, absolutely. The uh, Mark II um, original models are a thing. Um, even the initial artwork is very two-dimensional as well. Um, the classic Games Workshop, let's just make it so it looks good in one direction of view. I'm, let's just, I've got two pieces of art in front of me. I've got the one in the current uh, rulebook and I've got the one from the 1980s article. I can see that they're the same suit of armor. It's just so refined in the current edition. Yeah, it's night and day, but also really good grow up. And I look, I just love how, how, how brutal the armor looks. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it does what power armor needs to do. It looks like power armor and it's, you know, the OG, the vanilla variant, if you will, in many ways. Um, everything else we're going to talk about today will compare back to it. So, well, especially for our next one, Iron, which is basically, ah, we just got into the hive worlds of uh, the squats, and uh, yeah, we're not getting hit in the back too much, but boy, are we getting shot in the front. For Mark Three, I've got a soft spot for uh, being an Iron Warrior player. The squat lore is an interesting one because that's very front and center in the 1980s article. Not so much in the New Horus Heresy book. They now just refer to it as Zone Mortalis battles. Yeah, it's like, you know, we're going to go into... I not say expect Space Marines to be fighting in reality. I mean, the majority of warfare in the 41st millennium in reality would be small boarding actions by Space Marines, and Iron Armor's great for that. You're going to breach the door, and you've got all the armor right up front. You're heavily armored, and you can just get to it. So this... This is, is one of my favorite pieces of lore on the Iron Arm, and uh, it is still, even in the modern uh, reference, is the fact that basically they went, well, we've got this Terminator armor, and this is really good for these boarding actions and these hive worlds and, and things like that, but we don't have a whole heck of a lot of it, and we need to do something about that. Hey, you know what? Those panels on the, uh, on the Terminator armor, we can put those on the front of the uh, Crusade armor. But that's going to make it too heavy. So let's just take some of the armor off the back of the crusade armor to lighten lighten it a little bit, so they can still move. And you think, yeah, and you think how this really alters the way that they fight. Um, I was showing um, Stardust to a friend who doesn't play 40k, and I was noting that you know the Marines are not really seeking cover; <laughs> they are. And I'm like, what do you need to get cover when you are basically a walking tank? And that's what Mark III really was. It was you're in places where there are not much cover. You have to you you have to take some shots. And, and it's the reason why it doesn't matter what legion, what era, uh, anywhere in the heresy or even in the early scouring. And to argue for a lot of the first and second founding, even in the first millennium. If you have breachers, you should be using iron armor because that is the definitive role for the iron armor is the breacher. Absolutely, and I'm I'm hoping that when we see the elusive breacher kit, that it is a Mark Three kit and not some form of Mark Five breacher. Um... It, it'll probably. I mean, the way we are right now with plastics, if we get a breacher kit, 
and it's not a plastic like the or, or resin like the despoilers. If it isn't plastic, it's going to be for the Mark VI. That said, I can go and buy a, a box of Mark III and uh, fiddle with those uh, bits and turn them into a uh, into proper reach. The Mark III has my favorite helmet. There is something just when you use the word brutal for the Mark II. I feel like the helmet on the Mark III is just medieval. Well, I mean, it is the Crusade armor, so of course it's a Crusader helmet, and the Mark III is is just an, a a slight upgrade on that. I mean, they, I mean, just flipping between the two images, they are so similar in style. Yeah, it's just it's solid. Um, its law really hasn't changed. It is the you're gonna get stuck in. And I think that there are some Iron Warriors players, and I did not know that you played Iron Warriors, Martin. I've only seen your war leaders, but. Uh... But yeah, there's some Iron Warriors players that just kind of feel a little funny if they're not running Mark III. Oh yeah, straight up, uh, and and not and not just Iron Warriors, Iron Hands too. Yeah. Um. So I'm I had a really big Iron Warriors 40k army, and Iron Warriors hold a very special place in my heart. I just didn't want to paint Iron Warriors with Corvus armor, so I looked for a different thing to collect, which is why I'm word bearers now. And I will say that Iron Armor. Iron Armor is so iconic that in the lore, in the 41st Millennium, uh, while there are some uh, some chapters that will use their Iron Armor uh, in the field, almost every chapter that has Iron Armor has them decked out to the nines, and they are some sort of, like your Praetorian Guards in almost every chapter is going to be an Iron Armor. Yeah, uh, it's, it's good. Um, so let's keep on plodding through and talk about Mark IV, Maximus Armor. I, this is the one that's really had the weirdest change from the 1980s to current law. Current law has Maximus armor being like the standard suit of armor at the start of the heresy. It's an upgrade on crusade armor. It's that final step in evolution is what it was planned to be. Um, it's got a very different profile. The helmet looks different. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, current edition, current, current looking. Um, any thoughts about current law with Mark IV? So, I, like you said, the interesting thing is, is difference in current versus... In current lore, it, it was pretty much the standard. People were still using Mark II and Mark III, but Mark IV was the standard for most chapters. The white scars completely out on the rim. But in the original lore, Mark IV was just starting to get out there uh, uh, and starting to equip the... Uh, Equip the legions and Horus's legions, the legions that went with Horus, were actually the ones that, that got most of the Mark IV and were mostly upgraded when the heresy started. So, yeah, a lot of the chapters had some amount of Mark IV, but it, it, most of what they were using was Mark II still during the early heresy. Yeah, I think Mark IV definitely got a pretty big law rewrite with uh, Betrayal at Kalf. The first. The first one of these, hey, look at this new plastic kit, let's rewrite it. And it benefited from the fact that Mark IV was resin heresy. It wasn't just the plastic heresy, Mark IV was the standard power armored resin marine. That said, I, I like the look of Mark IV. Uh, and, and the reason I like the look of Mark IV is because the lore, you can, you can see it in the models and in the artwork. 
what they discuss in the lore later with Mark six and Mark seven, which we'll get into those in a bit. But Mark four is your is your epitome of what it was to be a space marine and and what it means in the forty first millennium to be a, uh, such that there are again going back to some of the uh, the early foundings, first, second, and third have quite a bit of Mark four and field but quite a bit of Mark four. Yeah, um, Mark four is one of those interesting uh, on a completely separate from law conversation. If we sort of just look at the artistic style. The art for Mark IV and even the initial uh, Mark IV models, the helmet has completely changed. It had a more of a beaky helm, a little bit more insectoid. And the reinvigorate, the new design they put out for Heresy when they started doing the Heresy models, it came up with something that looked really good. And it everyone knows it looks good because they went and carried on that same artistic beat with the Primaris Marines, which, ignoring the lore of Primaris Marines... The models generally look good, and they definitely carry that a lot of the artis artistic beats on from. Well, the armor looks pretty good. I, I, I'll debate you on some of those models, but basic tacticals and, and their sniper models that I can't even remember the name of them, those look really good. No, I mean, there are individual models that are train wrecks, but the, the basic Primaris suit of armor, I think, is a really good-looking Space Marine. And the fact it looks awfully like Mark IV says something, I think, about the refinements they are able to do. During with the heresy construction team of refining what we want to see from power armor, I think the uh, Mark IV is visually the closest re resemblance to Mark VII, in my opinion. Well, and that that's actually something in the lore that I was mentioning about Mark VI and Mark VII, and and I'll get into it more in when we get to Mark VI and Mark VII. Uh, but there is a reason why it is is most similar to Mark VII. Is because that's intentional. Yeah. It's, it's a good suit of armor. Um, yeah. I think it leads us pretty well into... Yeah, Mark V. Let's discuss Mark V. Mark V is weird. And Mark V actually, I think, has, has the most divergent between the original lore and the modern lore. I love Mark V. I have a special place in my heart for Mark V, so I'm a bit biased. So the Forge World Mark V is reminiscent of the early lore of Mark V, the heresy armor. So basically, Mark V was, we don't have the advanced materials to make Mark IV, so we're going to use the older materials we were using on the Mark II to mark, make the Mark IV style of armor, but this means that we're going to have exposed cabling because we don't have the, the, the better quality cabling. We're going to have heavier armor because we don't have the, the advanced materials. Uh, we're putting these bonding studs on because we're trying to reinforce the armor while lightening it at the same time because it's, it's heavy. And it's to the point where you have two options. You can either uh, have enough power to walk around and, and fight like you would normally in Mark IV, but you're also in a sweat box the whole time, or you can turn your power down to what is, 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 you know, a normal environmental level inside the suit and be more hobbled than a Terminator. It's basically a beta product, you know? Uh, yeah. It, no, it is not a beta product. It is the Volk, uh, pistol and Volksgewehr and every other German last ditch weapon where, you know, they, they took the, uh, what was a good rifle like the, uh, Gewehr 98, uh, the Carabiner 98, and started finding ways to simplify it. The Mark IV is best encapsulated in the Type 99 rifle in the late war, 
late uh, late World War II, where they don't even bother to lacquer the uh, the stocks. They don't put the uh, finger grooves in the stock. They took your long range uh, sights and made them a fixed sight. They uh, the castings weren't even finished. They were just simply cast and thrown onto the rifle. That's your Mark Four. Or excuse me, that's your Mark Five. They have production Mark V, like an official Mark V. And then there is the Mark V that is basically just whatever they kit bash together, you know. And that's and that's actually what I'm talking about. The production Mark V is the early lore of we're still using the Mark IV design, but we're not using the right materials to do it. And so we're putting out a cruder worse armor than Mark IV, but this is a production mark. Now, the interesting thing is, is versus the new lore, you know, right there in the heresy novels is Mark V wasn't a production anything. It Mark V was whatever you slapped together from Battlefield Salvage and the bonding studs on the heresy armor were there to hold your slapdash armor together because you're using parts from different, from different pieces of, of armor, which which I will say, this is actually the inspiration for my current uh, Space Wolves, because I'm doing Space Wolves for 2.0. I think, look, rereading the uh, section in the Age of Darkness Core rulebook, that's what they've actually they specified, that there are the two types of Mark V. We have the production Mark, and then we have everything else that people are saying, oh, this is a Mark V suit, because it's not anything else. Which, which is also where most of my word bearers fit, because... My despoilers are all Mark V because I'm using bits of all the range to give myself enough chainswords. So they aren't in Mark or all Mark Six. And I, I do like, and this this is why we can talk about the suits a couple of hours, because there is there is enough thought and it's consistent enough that like we can I can imagine easily a world where we get the production and other Mark Vs. I've been in plenty of situations like that in real life. I mean, I've worked the oil field and there were parts that we had which were handmade and we had a way to classify that in a generic box. I'm a software developer, so I've worked on plenty of products that were like duct taped together. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you just classify it as the same. The same. It's like, they aren't the same. We're marking them down that they're the same. They're the same, you know. So we've talked about Mark V. And Mark V, uh, I... In a weird way, because of its ad hoc nature, Mark V lore has been the most stable. Like, I reread, just reread both sections in both documents and, like, go out of their way to prove the other wrong anymore. Yeah, they, they've merged it back together. Yeah, and it, it yeah. Because you can do that, because you're just saying that this is a endless classification, and which does lead us nicely to Mark VI, which is definitely the mark that has undergone most recent retcon and uh on, on in certain you know channels there's been a bit of nerd rage on that yeah and it's one of those weird ones where i think it has been a bit of a bit of the nerd rage is definitely focus on stuff it shouldn't have done i want to back up to the lore about corvus that i think is really kind of interesting because it leads us into uh both mark four and mark seven is in the old lore Basically, Mark IV, even while they were starting to field it, they were already developing Mark, uh, what would become Mark VI. It wasn't actually Mark VI at that point. Uh, it was just a, a project that was in works, and the project actually split 
and became Mark VI and Mark VII. Uh, so they were actually developed in parallel, which is why the Mark VII helmet looks much more like the uh, Mark IV helmet than it does the Beaky, uh, is because they were developed in parallel. It's just the uh, Mark VII was, was completed as a project much later. Um, but that's, that, that's one of the things why that, that whole lineage is so good with the, the Mark IV and why it carries into the Mark VII real well in, in 40K is because the Mark VII is basically a refinement of the Mark IV. It, it actually took a couple of ideas from Mark VI, but it was basically an independent development from Mark VI based on the Mark IV, which is why there's so little overlap between six and seven but uh it, says, it states in the lore that uh most of the parts from part six from mark six and mark seven are are interchangeable they are interchangeable in fact i believe they're actually interchangeable with the mark four stuff but yeah it's definitely i can totally believe that and and the reason that they're mostly interchangeable between each other is because they were designed to be interchangeable with the mark four which again, they were sort of a parallel development, both coming off of the Mark IV. Yeah, and that, and all that we just discussed is in a 1980s law document. It's and it's I'm giving that double read. It's it's very consistent in that way that like Martians develop Mark IV. They 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 were happy with Mark IV. They started distributing it, and then six and seven were cooking at the same time. Six being rolled out a little. Well, basically, as the heresy was kicking off. And that's one of the interesting little tidbits of the lore between um, um, modern lore and the 80s lore. On the 80s lore, 6 and 7 were developed on Terra during the heresy um, because uh, Mars had already fallen uh, with the, the, the traitor fabricator. Um, in the modern lore, Mark 6 was being done on Mars, and then the Imperial Fists went in and, and oh yes, the Imperial Fists are here to save us. No, we're just here to grab all your armor and, and the techs that we're working on in the machines and bring it back to Earth. You're on your own, fellas. The line I wanted to pull from the 1980s document was that during the Martian campaign, the forces of Horus eventually overran the production facilities of Space Marine armor and soon began manufacturing new suits for their own use. Consignments were distributed to the other forces elsewhere in the galaxy, so this new type of armor became a quite widespread. That is the sentiment that got people riled up because it was proposed as a new idea when the republishment of the Mark VI law in the Core Rulebook and the White Dwarf article that repeats the same material occurred with the release of the Age of Darkness Heresy 2.0. I, I think most people's issues with it is in that lore, traders had Mark VI because they got distributed, because basically the, the, the factories of Mars were pumping it out and sending it out to the traders. The um, loyalists, especially loyalists that weren't in around Earth or got to Earth, like, you know, like your ultramarines didn't get there until late. Uh, Space Wolves were there for a while, so yeah, they could have had them, but you're... you're Dark Angels wouldn't have had them. Your Salamanders wouldn't have had them because they weren't getting these out from Terra the way the traders were getting them out. This is where the split between law and Games Workshop Warcom sales is occurring. 
Because I don't see anywhere in the rule book that sort of be like, hey, Salamanders had a pile of this armor by the end of the heresy. But I actually also think they would have done, because I'm soon going to turn my cycle around. By the end of the heresy, any Salamanders force that was going were rebuilding their force. And any consignments of new armor they were finding were likely to be Mark VI. Because that was what most Forge rules were producing at the end of the heresy. What was, what was that first uh, plastic uh, marine box they released in 1987? The RTBE. Oh, you know uh, what I'm There's a number after it. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, the, the first the first ones, the first box I ever got was that third edition box, which was the multi-part box. But they did have but they, I do know that they had because uh, I ended up helping a friend of mine build them because he liked the static look for a uh, a line unit of blood angels. Is that like four part pushed together uh, box? And I built so many of those for his Dark Angels army. Yeah, I think I think with the Age of Darkness box, GW was really looking to pay homage to that very first box of plastic marines they came out with. And those are the beakies. And I think that's what we have. Yeah, I think that's what we have with the Age of Darkness box. It was an homage to that. Not as much to like, you know, the you know the 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 the, the history nerds in our fantasy history of the heresy. Yeah. I think it's really an homage to to that early artwork of you know the 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 crimson fist standing on a pile of the dead, fighting to the last in their armor. So, I mean, the Mark VI Beakies, um, it, it's not just, like, it's not just the Crimson Fists. Like, one of the first times we saw art for the Horus Heresy, uh, the Betrayal at Kauf, the image of that, the first one they put out in the Titanicus first edition book, the whole pile of Mark VI Marines being attacked by other Mark VI Marines. So, like, the idea for Mark VI being heresy has been around for a, a while, at least artistically. There is a final suit of armor that appears in the heresy, maybe. Mark Seven. Not in the books. Uh, and it's in a weird place, a little, you know, in the heresy. So let's go back and re recap here, is that they were, it was a parallel de development of the Mark Six. The Mark Six was finished before the siege. At least according to the old 80s article, Mark Seven was finished during the siege. Or at the at the very start of the siege, so it was there, um, you know, right right as the siege was starting. So somebody having it could be argued that somebody having uh, white scars or imperial fists or blood angels in Mark Seven, well, we might consider it heretical within the heresy community. In theory, if you're going with Rick Gracely's lore back in the in the uh, in the very early days, I mean, yeah, that was it was it was brand new right off the factory. I think I would have, like, if I was to build a Imperial Fist list, uh, and it was like Siege of Terror Imperial Fists, or right before the Siege of Terror Imperial Fists, getting myself a Space Marine Tactical Squad from 40k and sprinkling in those bits, I feel like it would feel appropriate for a force that was just grabbing every suit of power armor they could wherever it was. Like, yeah, we got some suits that are just literally coming through development that look like they're from crusade it's just what we've got i think as the years go by it's going to be in a kind of a weirder and weirder place because 
as you said, um, in the heresy up until the siege of Terra, it was you know it it was a very it was very rare to see on the battlefield. But in 40k, you know, as GW kind of wants to more make you know 40k Primaris land, uh, Mark Seven kind of almost doesn't have. It's kind of looking for its place. Um, that's why I really would like to see a uh, you know for the Heresy game a, a scouring supplement, which kind of gives yeah it gives it gives Mark Seven armor its place its place to live. Uh, yeah. I've just opened up, looked at the tactical squad kit, and I'm like, Mark Seven heads are ugly. In comparison with our current Space Marine heads, I really don't like the rounded, surprised grill face. It just doesn't look anywhere near as artistically nice as the other suits. But I'm just, I haven't really looked at, I mean, I've been ignoring all my Mark Seven heads in the uh, my bits box, and it's just like, no, they don't. Mark Four head is superior in every way. I think we all have tons of Mark Seven heads that kind of don't really have a place to live because you know we're going to put more, you know, Mark Two or Mark Six, you know, heads on our on our Heresy models. And I think in the Heresy, I am I will come out and say I totally welcome Mark Seven in Heresy because I do have friends that I've played with in the past and you know year ten twenty years ago, and you know they have you know full Mark Seven armies. Armies sitting around, I would rather see them come out and play heresy with us than have those armies, you know, kind of just stay in storage. You know, so, yeah, bring them, come play heresy with us. Absolutely. I, well, we, I, this is the, so this is the, our rules here for local events that we run for our one day events. I mean, we're a little more stringent about what we want to see when we're doing like big two day events with large turnouts. But our, our local events are bring whatever you got. You know, as long as as long as we can identify what it is on the table, bring whatever you've got. You know, if you're building up your heresy army, it's unpainted, fine, whatever. You know, all we ask is that, you know, next time you show up, we want to see a little bit more uh, work toward, you know, having a real heresy army. You know, have paint on it or, or have a couple of squads replaced. But, yeah, we, we are fully about bring whatever you've got so that you can come and play because we just want to have fun. Right, and as a core system, really, you know, heresy is quite young. I mean, probably most of the heresy players, I'm just kind of, you know, uh, this is my opinion, I would say most heresy players who are playing today are probably got started within the last year. Probably, And see, that's one of the things that I've actually found in our local community that I, you know, I keep running into people that don't know that there's a heresy community and that there's been a heresy community here for something like 10 years. Or, or however long it's been, don't make me think about that. Um, but they don't know about it because they just only recently got into it. And so we're, we're finding them and we're gathering them up. And, and you know, one of the good things about that is most of the uh, game stores and the games workshop stores here in the Metroplex, most of us have some level of contact with the owners. You know, so if they see people playing Heresy, they, they try to get them and point them our direction, either in the, the Facebook groups for the various game stores or the Facebook group for uh, North Texas Heresy uh, or the Discord for North Texas Heresy or, you know, get them involved in the community so they can get into these events that we run. I mean, we're in the mother of all tangents, but I think it's actually really important. I've seen definite frustration in several places where there's the idea that the box dropped last year and the community really started growing and then... Games Workshop has kind of messed up the 
the force that was behind the last year's drop, people just started not collecting their armies and some people are going back to 40k. But I don't think it's as bad as people think it is. In certain areas, there have been like total communities have gone like, oh, perhaps we aren't going to do heresy after all. But it really seems to me that like the heresy community has at least doubled in size in last year. I think a lot of the problem is just what I was saying before, is there was a lot of people that that aren't in touch with the more classic heresy community. And so the heresy community doesn't know about them and they don't know about us. When the launch came out, uh, every store that I knew that was carrying the, the pre-orders, they, uh, they sold out of pretty much everything. Uh, they're, you know, they're saying, Hey, we regularly are getting sales on heresy, but you know, I, I went to an event at uh, one of the games workshop stores here locally uh, last weekend and I met five new people that I had never met before. And, and even not the major cities. Uh, you know, I was at an event in uh, Tyler. Um, you know, not necessarily a small town, but not like Houston or Dallas sized. And uh, it, it was a packed house. You know, there are there are guys there who went to game, you know, who love heresy. I saw a lot of fully painted armies there. Now, these are guys who, you know, may, may just have like the Age of Darkness box. Uh, but they are completely passionate about the hobby, and that's just so great to see. Well, that, that was because I was at that same event with you and Martin and, as we're talking about it. Um, now, we are very far afield, and there was a tangent that I actually is more related to what we're talking about tonight that I did want to touch on, because we're talking about, you know, Maximus, you know, the Mark Four head, the Mark Six head, the Mark Seven head, which heads we like. Um, here's the question I have for you. Is Helmeted versus non-helmeted. So this is the reason why I think this is an interesting conversation is because I've always been of the opinion that Space Marines all the way up to your, your Primark should be wearing helmets because your helmets are not just, it's not just a brain bucket like you're in the Imperial Guard. I mean, the only reason that Acadian wears a helmet is so when his head gets cut off, somebody's got uh, something easy to carry it around with. A Space Marine helmet is so much more than that. It, it's providing tactical displays. It's providing squad interaction. Uh, basically, what we're trying to do with the Future Warrior program that we keep uh, funding and then quitting and then funding again and then quitting. Um, you know, it gives you your tactical radios. I mean, you get so much more out of a Space Marine helmet than just simply a brain bucket. A and then you have all the, the guys that are supposed to have the most information and need this most badly about where all their people are and what's going on are the ones that are wandering around without their helmets on. Absolutely. And that's, it's the weirdest thing. So I've, I've got too many of my guys in my collection without helmets because I like the artistic value of it. But from any way you look at the law-wise, there's no reason for a space marine to take the helmet off. Now, I will I will say this is my one caveat is space wolves because space wolves are space wolves and as smart as they are, are some of the stupidest space Marines out there. I, my space wolves, my entire army, with the exception of the despoilers that I talked about, because the beaky helmets are, are a ceremonial thing of their office. My, my death sworn, they wear them because again, it's a ceremonial thing of the office. All of my space wolves have bare heads because space wolves always complain that even though they have these neural links that like pump the, the outside information straight into their head, they, they, 
Space Wolves say, yeah, well, it still messes with our heightened senses. We don't wear uh, the helmets because we can we can do better without them. For me, it is just a, a visual aid in in identifying the sergeant in my unit. Yeah, uh, that's, that's kind it. of where I come. There are a few models that I just want to have a look, and it just looks good to have the helmets off. Um, I don't remember which book it was, but it was one of the early uh, heresy books. Uh, it was a, um, I'm almost certain it was an Emperor's Children uh, bit where they actually were making fun of one of the uh, captains for not wearing his helmet. It's a common jibe in the Black Library books, which is good because it's a common jibe around the table as well. Um, yeah, I guess that sort of wraps it up, really. I think we've gone through most of it. And with that, uh, we come to the end of our show. Now, as I mentioned at the start of the show, there were some references to a section that has been cut. There were some small audio issues that led to a section of the show being removed, basically for audio quality issues. My plan is to re-record that section, have a discussion again, and we will include that in a future show. I've sort of pegged a show on my recording schedule that will include that conversation, and we will come back and finish that up there. And I'm not even going to try and say what we missed, because I don't want to put words in my other co-hosts' mouths. I really enjoyed the conversation with them. Once again, an immense thank you for both of them showing up and recording with me. It's always a pleasure to sit down and talk to friends you don't get to see much. Um, although I live close to Dallas, it's still a two and a half hour drive. So I don't have to get to drive down to Dallas to hang out and, and talk 30k with them. It just doesn't happen. So spending a Sunday evening chit-chatting about this dense law, this law that intrigues us so much, was an absolute pleasure. We went down so many tangents. Some tangents were completely unrelated to the show, so they've been left and put on the shelf for to picking up for future shows. I, I'm really excited to be podcasting again. Um, for those who listened to me through the God Engine cast, knew that I struggled with the show near the end. It took me a while to stop recording the show. I didn't want to give it up. And I'm now really glad that I've refocused the heresy. I found writing material for this sort of show a lot easier than I had, and it's re-enthused my enthusiasm for the whole podcasting hobby. And I'm glad that you guys are coming along for the ride. As I mentioned at the start of the show, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please send them my way. Reach out to me through social media. I've got a Facebook page for this show I'm on. I'm on Gmail at thefiresbetrayalpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to me through Spotify, apparently as well as probably a hundred other one ways. I'm on Instagram as the God Engine Cast. All these ways are perfectly legitimate ways to contact me and talk to me about the show, and I'm really keen to hear any feedback. I'm currently trying to plan what we're going to do over the next six months. Things are going to get really interesting for me because I'm currently a school teacher here in Oklahoma, and we're getting closer to the end of the school year. May 18th, my students graduate, and I start a couple of months where I don't work. I won't go back to school until the start of August. So I'll have two, two and a half months of freedom. I mean, I've got some stuff to do. I've got a to-do list that's fairly long. I've got several rooms around my house that need painting. But um, other than that, I plan to spend quite a bit of time getting stuff sorted for the podcast. There are going to be a couple of special shows that come more regularly than every two weeks. I intend to do a summer special show on some Black Library material particularly focusing on the latest Siege of Terror book, The End of the Death. 
I think it'd be really fun to do a sit-down, spoiler-filled conversation with a couple of people who read the book. So this, in many ways, is a warning that that show's on the way. And if you've got the book sitting around, maybe you want to read it so you can join in our discussions. But yeah, I think at this point I'll put the recording and sign off. It's been an absolute pleasure once again, and I will see you all in two weeks. Please subscribe to the podcast on your podcatcher of choice, and we will see you in two weeks. If you have any questions for the show, please email us at firesofbetrayal at gmail.com or reach out through our social media account or at reserve to their respective owners. Until next time, we wish you all good fortune. Thank you.